Hi, this is Russ Taft. Hi, this is John Oliphanty. Hi, this is John Schlipper Petra. Hi, this is Kim Boyce. Hey, everybody, Stephen Curtis Chapman here, and you are listening to Jesus Freaks Final to Digital. Hi, I'm Jason Huddle, host of Jesus Freaks Final to Digital. Before we get into this week's program, I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for downloading this episode and giving us a listen. If you really like what you hear, we'd love to have your support. How can you do that, you say? Well, I'm glad you asked. Simply visit patreon.com slash Jesus Freaks Podcast and become a monthly sponsor. Now you can do that for as little as two measly dollars per month, or you can go higher and get special perks like advanced access to episodes when available, the opportunity to submit questions I will ask our artists on future episodes, and even your very own Jesus Freaks t-shirt. Again, that's patreon.com slash Jesus Freaks Podcast. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And hey, if you'd like your business or organization to become a sponsor of this program, let us know by visiting our website, JesusFreaksPodcast.com, and click on the Become a Sponsor link at the bottom of the page. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, let's get on with the show. Age of Faith quickly made some waves when they came onto the Christian music scene in the late 80s and early 90s. But for lead singer Jimmy Ray, the limelight quickly became a prison. I was getting mixed vibes about my faith because I felt like that I was out here hoping to use my music to the betterment of people's lives and so that kind of thing. But at the same time, I was also still caught up in the fact that I was having to sell records, having to put on a great show. I started looking at the Christian music industry as being silly. After the band broke up, those thoughts and fears eventually led to a long battle with opioid addiction. It started a secret addiction to those pills that For about a year, I lived it by myself um, until I couldn't live it by myself anymore. And that began a six and a half year journey with addiction. In this week's episode, we talked to Jimmy Ray about his days with Age of Faith, as well as how he turned his battle with addiction into helping others. That's coming up right now on Jesus Freaks Final to Digital, presentation of Capco Media Group. I'm your host, Jason Huddle. not going to let my mind Jimmy Ray of Age of Faith fame. Fame. Yes. <laughs> like it, hey, you, you know what? Jimmy, you were my first interview ever. When wow. I was just starting out, I was in college. I was uh, working for the uh, college radio station. They let me have three hours on uh, Sunday nights for a okay. Christian music show. And mm-hmm. it was like, you were going to be in Charlotte, which is my hometown. Uh over the weekend. And so I got in touch with your people. Yeah. I think you were, you were with Benson at the time mm-hmm. and uh, managed to get an interview with you. Wow. You were performing at a roller skating rink. Oh my gosh. And I, I know exactly where it was. It's on old Pineville road. I, yep. I can, I still, I have a video of that show. That Do was you really? the first, that was the very first show that age of faith ever had a full-time band, a full band that night. It was wow. the first time we ever used one. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I remember that. Yeah, so Absolutely I absolutely remember that. I didn't even have like a mini ca- uh, tape recorder or anything like no. that. I had, I had a, a like a, a boombox that happened to be able to record. 
<laughs> so you know I what? Brought it I in. think I actually remember that interview. I'm serious. <laughs> uh, I think I actually remember that. Yeah. But uh, wow, I've, I've still got the interview somewhere. It's, oh, it's my goodness. in my archive somewhere. I've, I've still got That's it on crazy. the set. Uh, but That's and, funny, and you man. could hardly hear it. Like when I played it back, of course, we don't yeah. have the digital cleanup that we do now. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I had to put it onto a, I had to put it onto a eight track in order to play. It on oh the heck stage. yeah, man! That's awesome. I had to put it on reel to reel and then convert it to an eight track. But oh, uh, wow. anyway, so uh, but the the audio was horrible. The, the, of course, we had to do this in the middle of the roller skating rink, so the the music still yeah. going. People are still skating in the background. <laughs> you can hear people screaming. Oh, it was it was horrible. But That's I really good. appreciate you taking the time because I felt oh, like, man. dude, this this guy no is taking his time for me. And I was a you know, nobody college student at the time. So uh no problem, man. Uh, no problem at all. So things have come full circle and we we oh, both yeah. we both have a few more miles. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Funny. A few. <laughs> a lot. Since then. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, so tell us about, uh, you know, let's talk about age of faith for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then I want to get into your, your story. Um, you, okay. you truly have an inspiring story, but, um, age of faith, you guys started back in the 87, right? 87. Um, we started, oh my goodness. Yeah, it was 1987. I had just graduated from college, had just gotten married and was kind of doing a solo thing. Um, I went to Gardner-Webb, now university, and I went to Gardner-Webb, and that's where I kind of started. You know what? When I was growing up in my little bitty town in North Carolina, I didn't know anything about any type of Christian music. I The only thing I heard that had anything has, had to do with gospel was what my church, you know, at the church, which was hymns and that kind of stuff. And occasional quartet would come in, you know, and, and that's all I knew I, until I went to Garden Web. And the first time I ever heard anything contemporary was the Imperials. Um, and that was, I heard it by mistake. Um, but what caught me about it was the fact that there was actually drums and there was guitars and I just couldn't believe it. I, you know, and it, it wasn't that I loved it. It was just that it was different. I just never heard anything like that. Well, when I got to Garden Web, that was all over the place, you know, and that was back in the days when the Imperials, Keith Green, Sweet Comfort Band, who became a favorite of mine. But um, and, and so those were bands that I was introduced to. And and so I realized, that, you know, there's just something different out there. So I, when I was at college, it's when I kind of started playing around, playing little coffee houses on campus, formed a formed a band with some other guys there. It was the first I, unquote unquote Christian band, I guess you could say that I was ever in, but I was bound determined that this is what I felt like I was going to do was I was going to play music, make my living off of it. I had, I was a driven and determined little 19 year old, you know, the, who was or 20 year old who was going to do it regardless. Uh, even though people said, you know, you got to get that real job and make that money and, you know, and you can't play music because you'll never make anything out of that. So I was like, okay, well, that's fine, but that's still not going to broke or not. So when I got, I had hooked up, it, it's, excuse me, it's funny how things work out, how the roads turned some ways and then the other ways. They, I always say that God's hand's always been ahead of me or ahead of people. I ended up writing a song called Hand of God that was going to be on Age of Faith record, but we were done broke up. <laughs> so, but, um, uh, it, but, it, but I always believe that 
I've always looked back and seen where God's hand has led me in certain directions and provided and opened doors and closed doors that I've gone through ones that I shouldn't have gone through and, you know, so forth. But um, I had hooked up with a guy named Richard Young. So they had a thing called the Kingdom Youth Conference in Orlando, Florida. And this was a thing that happened every year. And there was 14, 1500 kids at this thing, youth groups primarily, you know. And so they invited me to come down that one summer and do a 15-minute set in the morning now. In the morning, 10 o'clock in the morning or whatever. You know, I got that was my slot. Paid my own way. My dad went with me. That didn't even pay and, your way. No, man. They they said you want to come, we'll give you 15 minutes slot. That's it. <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, so me and my dad hopped in. We drove down to Orlando. They, and then, then, you know, then they would have stuff in the morning and then they, at night they would have their conference and then they would have like a concert, you know, right, who like they a headliner put, type, yeah. a headliner. Right. right. So th- that time, it, at that time it was, I remember Russ Taff was on oh, a metals, yeah. metals tour. Oh man. Uh, so it was Russ Taff and Connie Scott. If you remember Connie Scott, she was a solo girl from Canada. I have to look up Connie Scott. You got Great voice, but you know, anyway, and then a dude named John Gibson, who, yeah. who was really a Stevie wonder type of just a great voice, man. Yeah. That was, they were there one night and, um, I think it was Whiteheart or somebody the next, I can't remember. Anyway, so they gave me my 15 minute slot, me and my guitar <laughs> after it was over. Man, I saw and danced myself around that place. You know, ended up with a yeah. hundred book. Ended up with a hundred uh, bookings that day from a fifteen-minute set. From a fifteen-minute awesome. set. So that is what started my journey. I started going to youth groups any and everywhere in the country that would have me play in their fellowship hall or play. So that's a very short synopsis of, and then I invited my friend from college, Rick Harwell to just play behind me. He had an old Mac computer, the old school ones. Yeah. He could, he, and he had a keyboard that he could program some drums. So he programmed drums. And- I see where this is going. And we made Age of Faith out of that, man. But you know what? We bought sound and we bought little lights that I programmed with my feet, my foot pedal and all this stuff, man. We were all about making it fun. And that's how we started Age of Faith as a duo in 1987. Long, long little answer there, but there you go. So then about 1994, I think uh, there was a breakup. Mm -hmm. Why the breakup? Mm -hmm. What happened? I got ticked off at everybody, told them to fire them all. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. man. Um, I'll tell you what happened. Um, from 87 to about 1990, we were playing, Rick and I were playing everywhere. We were probably playing 200 nights a year. I mean, but, and granted, these weren't 
Carowinds Palladium gigs. These were right. fellowship hall church basements. You know, right. Right. occasionally we get the big gig, which would be in the gym. <laughs> and we would get pepperoni on the pizza instead of just cheese. To eat, you know, <laughs> so, yeah, man, absolutely. <laughs> but the thing about it is, man, we were making we were making a living and, and I had a child on the way at, at 1990 and we were doing well. Well, we had gone in and made these little cassettes in local studios just to sell, to have something there really to make, just to sell our music and to make extra money. And it was funny because during that youth conference that I was talking about a little while ago, we met a couple named Jim and Kim Thomas who went by a name of say so. That was what they yeah, went on. I remember them. Yeah. Remember them? Precious people, man. They're Jim's a pastor now at a church in Nashville, and Kim's an artist. And, and I was say, didn't Kim Thomas go to people. solo stuff? She may, she may have. I know she became a painter, and our uh-huh. book. She's authored several books, and they're just sweetest people in the world. Yeah. And they were the only people I'd, I'd never been in Nashville. I was too intimidated to go to Nashville. You know, I, I didn't want to go out there where everybody was everybody, and I would be like a felt like I would be just nobody out there, which, you know, I was, but, but I called Jim and Kim and I said, Hey, do you know anybody out there that could help Rick and I do like a three song tape that would sound really good? And they said, well, sure we do. So they hooked us up with a guy named uh, Mark Baldwin. Mark was a session guy, um, guitar player, played on a bunch of the Benson stuff. And, you know, anyway, so yeah. So, we had three songs that we thought were good and we went out there and a guy named Gary Lund, who used to be with Whiteheart, uh, a bass player, he programmed the drums and played the bass and I played acoustic, Rick played keys and uh, uh, Mark played electrics and we did our little three song demo and it sounded like a million bucks to us, man. And so while we were out there, it was so weird because Mark said, well, hey, let's run it around to the record labels, you know, just see what happens. Now, granted, we're, this is 19, this is 1989 in the 90, right? So it's a lot different now. It's a lot different now. You know, you don't go in your bedroom and make a record. You had to really, you had to push for your record deals because you just couldn't get them. You know, it's hard to get them. So we went to every label in town. Everybody was just turning us down left and right. You know, I'll never forget walking into reunion records and um, Gary Chapman was sitting in there and he was kind of over, you know, he was, that's when the Amy, Michael W. Smith and Gary Chapman, all the heavyweights were on reunion. And I really wanted to record for them, but he turned it down. You know, very nice, very polite, very gracious, but just thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Des Dickerson, who used to be with Prince, he was really interested in us, but the offer that he was um, offering wasn't what we were looking for at that time. It was a one song on a sampler, you know, with then that would tie us into a couple of years of contract, you know. And right. So the last, very last place they took us was um, Benson. And uh, we walked in, met a guy named Andy Ivey. Um, Andy sat down with us in the, in there, his office. The head of A&R, Ken Pennell, came in, sat down, and we're all sitting there, and they're getting ready to play our demo. I'm sweating. I'm scared to death because I'm. this is a total – this is an environment I don't know anything about. I am a fish out of water. Right. And they put the first song in, listened to it, stopped the thing, and said, uh, you want to do a record? And that was all it was. Next thing you I know, know we're, si- we're signed. We're signed. We signed three weeks later. Maybe.
And wow. uh, so we was about the breakup. So we, we signed, made two records for Benson, the Age of Faith uh, self-titled, and then we did one called Heart of the Young. And uh, then the record industry began to change. Um, Sony, uh, I mean, uh, Sony was buying up labels. Benson changed management, and anybody that didn't sell, Benson's changed uh, presidentship, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah, whoever was not selling X amount of records was cut, and we were in that bunch that weren't selling. Uh, but, you know, so they only kept the, you know, the heavyweights at the time. And so we lost our deal. And uh, I was kind of devastated, and I went on a two year um, solo journey in my Jeep Cherokee until I put the band back together and went with Grey Dot. While we're talking about Grey Dot, I got to talk, our listeners can't see this, but I've got Embrace here with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to talk there to you about it is. Go check this out, the cover of Embrace from Age of Faith. Look yeah, at Jimmy's well, bowl cut. What's up with that bowl cut, man? Man, what's up with the fact that I had hair then? <laughs> you know, it's what happens when you get into the junk I got into later, you lose your hair. And um, I'm looking, what's funny is you can't see it, but I'm looking at a magazine um, from CCM. I'm looking at a magazine the ad of ours with that very, it's not that picture, yeah. but it's a picture similar to that. Um, from that same photo shoot on my wall, wall right there. But yeah, we had, what was up? I couldn't even figure out what my hands were doing. I, I never understood what? why I they was, made me. I was like, are you praying? Or I guess you, I was embracing. You were, look, are you itching your face? I'm not really sure. I think I'm embracing and itching my face all at the same time. <laughs> I believe that's what uh, I'm doing, man. I love record coverage from the 90s. It's oh God, something yeah. else. So uh, let's talk about you guys put out uh, your last album in 1999 uh, and then you had an accident uh, not Mm. too long after, right? A bicycle accident. That's right. Yeah. I, um, we put out our last record in 99 and understand something to understand the next part of the story. You have to understand a little bit about where we were in the music world. Yeah. Please tell me, you know, when we went back and, I put a band back together with some guys that I knew just, you know, they weren't the greatest players I knew. I just, they were good guys and I knew they would have be fun to play with on the road. And I put them together. We ended up getting a deal with great art records. Um, a guy, uh, small town poets, um, was getting ready to sign with them and they decided to go elsewhere and said, Hey, you ought to look into them, you know? So they kind of introduced us and great out had just sold third day to reunion. Oops. And, Yep. Oop, oops, big oops. <laughs> and so, but that freed up, uh, they, they were looking. And so we came to town and, uh, we, I, that, yeah, that embrace record you just showed. Yeah. I actually have the version of that record that no one's ever heard that we did. Uh, Drew and I did up with Bill Campbell of the throws up yeah. in Virginia. We did that whole record up there and that's what we took to gray dot. They wanted to record it again. But the re- the re- the release that did not go to the light of day is a much better record to me than the one you have in your hand. It's a lot raw. It's a lot more rock and roll, a lot more rock and roll than that. So anyway, they signed us. We did that record. We did The Truth. And we ended up doing another one called Still Songs of Restoration in 99. During that time, I had started developing depression pretty bad. A lot of it was the fact that I was really tired. I was becoming really disillusioned with the business, with the music world, especially the Christian music world. I was getting mixed vibes about my faith because I felt like that I was out here hoping to do, use my music 
to the betterment of people's lives and so that kind of thing. But at the same time, I was also still caught up in the fact that I was having to sell records, having to put on a great show, which got to understand that's part of what I, I love. I love putting on good shows. I was always about, you know, Age of Faith had great lights. We have great production. We always prided ourselves in having great merchandise for people. And we just like to do everything that way. But what was confusing to me was I may get letters from this or whatever, but I started looking at the Christian music industry as being silly, to be honest with you, because I, I was starting to not be able to separate the entertainment of it to what the whole purpose that we were doing it to begin with was. Right. Cause and, and what happened was I felt like that I was more there to entertain than anything else. I started worrying more about sales and I started worrying more about, you know, why does another band have 10 more minutes on the festival stage than we do, you know, and that stuff started driving me crazy and it's just started getting really cloudy for me. I started worrying myself sick about if the radio single was going to even get played or not. And that became the consuming thing for me. So I started losing a little bit of why I ever picked up a guitar to play in the first place. Hmm. So I became really depressed. The last year on the road was a real dark time for me. I Nothing with the guys, the band, we had a great time. We had more fun than anything on the road, but, um, I wrote in my book about how in Minneapolis or in Minnesota, I would sit out my, I was sitting out in the audience and I was thinking, why am I doing this now? And I was so tired and so tired of being out on the road and so tired of doing these concerts and, and feel like I had nothing to say, you know, uh, other than, Hey, here's some nice songs for you to clap your hands to and come buy our t-shirt, you know, that right. kind of thing. And we're going off to the next thing. Um, so we decided that with the record business changing and, 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 you know, um, just, we weren't, the age of faith's momentum was not catching on. We were trying to get on bigger tours and we, and it was based on who was putting the money up for the tours, you know, that kind of thing. We didn't have money. Our label wasn't doing that. We didn't have money for that. Um, so it got really disillusioned that we were really struggling, you know, and, I was the oldest guy in the band with kids. Nobody else had kids. Nobody else was married. Um, that was another struggle. You know, it was just harder for me. Um, but I loved being on the road and I loved playing. It was all I knew. So when I came home in Jan end of 1999, going into the new year, um, I was just really, really depressed. And January the 1st, 2000, my kids were riding bikes. They asked me if I would come out and videotape them riding, you know, jumping. They were only five and 10 or five and nine or whatever. But I decided that I wanted to jump on my oldest son's bike and do the same thing. I'll show you how evil Knievel used to ride, how he used to jump. So I did, but I didn't do it like evil did it. <laughs> I busted. Maybe you did because he broke a lot of Maybe. I, yeah, I did it like evil did it at Caesar's <laughs> Palace. That's what I should say. So I... I, I, I hit the jump and I have a picture. It's interesting. I keep pointing over here with this wall of pictures, but I have a picture of the very picture I took of the boys before I got on that bike and I keep it up on the wall to remind me of that day. So when I went over the handlebars, I broke my shoulder. Long story short, went to the ER. They gave me painkillers, pain pills. Um, when I got home, my wife gave them to me. And if anybody's ever had opiate pain pills before, you know, they make you feel really good when you first take them. And they made me feel really good. But what it did more than anything was it took the depression away. 
I didn't feel that anymore. So understanding a lot about addiction now, like I do, I quickly developed a tolerance to that medicine where you had to have more and more to feel the same way. And that's certainly what I did. So that started a secret, um, it started a secret addiction to those pills that for about a year, I lived it by myself until I couldn't live it by myself anymore. And that began a six and a half year journey with addiction. It was about, that destroyed me, about took everything I had. I feel like a tug of war raging in my soul. I feel a little out of There's an apple on a tree Dangling for my eyes to see This will be the death of me I often go where I Don't really want to go My feet can always find the dark I taste the wine of wonders Really bittersweet I'm falling for the lies again Mentally, spiritually, physically, you know, financially, everything. And uh, so, yeah, that was my journey. So, yeah, so the music business kind of not blaming it at all on my depression, but the way I handled, I should say that, the way I handled things in the business when I was in the business like that fueled my depression without seeking help for that, like, you know, cause we, in the guys of the band, man, we would talk all the time, you know, about stuff and about this, that, and the other. But yeah, once I hit that depression and had that accident, things changed for me pr- pretty rapidly. Hmm. So ultimately your wife had to have a come to Jesus meeting with you, right? Yeah. She had to come to Jesus several times, but the, 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 the final come to Jesus was in 2000, late 2006, I think it was. And this was just kind of sad. We, I had been booked in Myrtle Beach to do a Sunday morning thing at a church and a Sunday night thing at this church. And, and it was pitiful. I'll, I'll never forget it because, you know, my wife was one because her favorite place is at the beach. She's at the beach right now, as a matter of fact. And she loves the beach and she wasn't going to give up a chance to go, right? So they had brought us, uh, they, they got us a hotel to come down on Saturday, you know, just have a good time, you know, got to eat hang out at the hotel, hang out at the beach, then come to the church Sunday morning and play, and then play again that night. Well, you know, that was not a good night because Angie, my wife's name is Angie. We've been married 33 years this past Saturday. So we've been together. Thank you. She chased me for 30 years, man. <laughs> no, I was kidding. Not at all, man. <laughs> yeah, we have, uh, yeah, we've been married 33 years, been together 39 years. So that's a long time, man. That night, in, in uh, I was sick. I was in withdrawal sick. I was, I didn't have any, any, I didn't have any pills with me. So I got sick really quick. And I remember there's a place called boardwalk, boardwalk by this something in, in North Myrtle. I can't remember what it's called right now. Yeah. I know. I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember feeling like, feeling like I was feeling, and I remember looking over at the house of blues, just knowing that a year ago I had played that place and 
it was packed. It was like 800 kids there that night. And one of our best nights. And I just remember looking at the house blues going, Oh my gosh, how the mighty have fallen, you know, what, you know, that, that term. And, and that next morning I had to go into that church and I was so sick. I couldn't hardly hold my head up. And, I, and then I, then that night I had to go back and play. And that was just a miserable day. And I remember my wife saying to me, she said, that was one of the worst things I've ever seen on the stage before. I'll never wow. forget her say, she said, you didn't look right. You didn't, you certainly didn't sound good. And all I saw was a hypocrite up there on stage. I'll never forget her saying that to me. That's got to cut so you she, eat, man. Well, she, she, well, the thing about it is she had put up with so much mess for the, for the last several years, you know, with me. And I was not the man she had married. I was certainly not the father that I had been, you know, prior. And, you know, there was never any bad stuff in our home or anything. It was just that I was just checked out. You know? And, yes, yeah, she said, you got your choice. She said, you either, you either fix it. Or everything you see around you will no longer be yours, and you got three days to do it. Wow! And and she was and she wasn't kidding. She she had said that before, but this time it was it was it was over. And so I went on a journey to get myself fixed up, and it took a while. And it was not easy, man. It was not. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. But I'm a better man today because of what I went through. So I how really long, am. How long have you been sober? Uh, let's see, 10, 12 years. Wow. 12 years now, man. And, uh, incredible. And the thing about it is because of what I went through, you know, when I mentioned earlier that, you know, sometimes the hand of God goes so far ahead of you, you don't even see it till it comes back around. Cause here's the thing, the fact that I became addicted to a substance, you know, it was a thing that God didn't just go, okay, I'm going to now want you to, I'm going to give you the gift of being addicted to a substance. No, (laughs) no. What he did though was even though I had stepped completely out of any steps with him during that time, because I did the thing and I did things immorally during that, during those years. And I write about it. Some of my book, things that I went through and things I did and things I'm ashamed of. And, but the thing about it was, he still used that that terrible period. And I think that's what's so redeeming about, you know, Lord we serve is that he takes those things that we made a fool of ourselves out of and then he turns around and, and he uses them, you know? And, yeah. uh, and, and that was what was, because I never could understand why I had to go through all that. Like I would always go, because I remember being in the hospital <laughs> detoxing one time and, just looking out the window going, Oh my gosh, man, what has happened to me? And then I look back now and I go, if I hadn't have gone through those experiences, my life wouldn't be where it is now. I wouldn't be doing what I do now. I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be helping people where I'm helping now. And I wouldn't be, I wouldn't know some of the things I know and feel the way I feel about certain things now. And so even though, though we go through things that are sometimes terrible, Sometimes they're even out of the will of God. I still believe God uses those things. My favorite verse is Joel uh, 2.22. It says, I'll repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, which is an absurd verse. But it basically means come back to me and I will give you back what all you screwed up. Mm. You know, and he's done that to me threefold or more. And so, yeah, so I work in that industry now. So I'm actually a licensed therapist now. So, yeah. So you segued into my next, that was my big surprise. Yeah, yeah. So this was, uh, not only are you sober and that's an incredible story, what you went through, but yeah. now you're using, 
your experience to help others. Tell us about yeah. that a little bit. I didn't know what to do with it. I thought the best thing I could do is just pick my guitar up, write songs about it, go out again and do what I know to do playing, you know, and I thought I'll just go, you know, I'll just go out and play. And I didn't want to just go out to churches. I want to go wherever, man, play, you know? And, um, but then I thought I'd like to go back to school. So at the age of, It, at an older day, at an older <laughs> age, let's just say that. <laughs> the age of <laughs> yeah, at an older age. No, I don't mind telling people how old I am. I was, I'll be fifty-seven this year, but I was forty-seven when I went back to school and uh, I started a journey. And I remember I went back to Liberty, uh, went to Liberty University, and I remember thinking that first class. Oh my gosh, I will never get out of this, and. I went through and I got me a second bachelor's and I dove. I took six months off and went right back and got my master's degree. And then I ended up getting my license as a substance abuse therapist and uh, working on my license now for mental health therapist. And so, which I do both. I do mental health and substance abuse therapy. But so, yeah, I, I haven't, I have an eight to five now, but it's very, it's very, unorthodox it's not like you know i don't punch a clock or anything like that i i see people every day that are hurting and sick and and it's a it's a small victory to see these people then you know for every one that gets well you have 10 that don't so sure but i still you know i still like to play music and i still you know still involved with that certainly not with the band anymore we played a reunion in carowinds about uh in 2015 we got together course we didn't get paid for that either but we <laughs> something's well, never changed yeah exactly <laughs> but we we did we did four songs that day it's the first time we played in uh 10 years together wow. and it was like it we played yesterday that's how good it felt so yeah really shortly sweet. before shortly before the covid all the covid stuff hit mm. i mm. actually saw you you came and you opened up for randy stonehill oh uh, you there not, you were there that yeah, night that's, that's what, right. yeah we talked and i had i didn't even know i was going to be doing this podcast at that at that time. Oh, yes. No, the, um, the brainstorm. Had yeah, right, right, but, right. But you're playing this old guitar, like this guitar, you guys got to see this thing. It is in <laughs> really sad shape. I mean, it's got it's, like a huge hole in it. Not in And it the sounds so good. It sounds incredible, but it looks like it would sound like caca, you know, it just, but mm. I tell you, you put on a good set, man. It was, it was very enjoyable. Uh, you know, I have the video of that on my phone here, but that guitar that you're talking about is my Takamini EN10C, which I, it is now, as of today, it is 30, let's see, it's 33 years old. It looks like I got it's 83 it. years old. I'm it does. And it plays like a, it plays the, and it's been all over the world, man. I mean, it's been everywhere I've been, it's been. And that was a funny night because I remember this because what I remember funny about that night is I was so excited, man, because I was going to play Penny for Your Thoughts from Peter Frampton, the instrumental. Yeah. And I had I had this other guitar tuned to to the tuning that, that song is in. And I looked back and I remember my hands were so tight. And it's the funniest thing because I never hit the notes right. And I'm and I just finally gave up on that show that night. I was like, whatever. <laughs> but I yeah, I remember that night, man. I remember playing some of those tunes. Uh, 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 that was a fun night. Uh, I've played, um, I think I played, uh, old age of face song. I think if I'm not mistaken, I played what it costs. Yeah. I think yeah, you did. Yeah. And I played, I might've played love of Jesus, which that was our only number one. 
we actually really? just Heart of the Young didn't Heart of the Young didn't let me tell you something. Heart of the Young record had as far as we're concerned, that is the best sounding record Age of Faith put out because you gotta think of who all was on that record. Bob Carlisle, Rick yeah. Elias, or him, Dan Huff, David Huff from Giant, Michael yeah. Jackson fame, all that stuff. Uh, Mike Brignadello from Giant. Um, the, the list goes on and on. And yeah. Bill Bumgart produced it. And it was a massive sounding AOR record. And there was five singles on that record. Then Benson didn't push one single off that record. Wow. Not one. And that's, that's their songs. Bad. It is too bad because that, that record, I mean, we even had people, other artists tell us, Dude, why are they not putting out this as a single? It this a is a album. massive Go, go check single. this out. Is it? Um, I assume it's on like Apple Music and I, stuff. I, I don't know. Um, I know you can find them for under a dollar on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a you good know. album. I still I actually have two copies of it because one of, them, one of them you autographed for me that night. The, mm. and, and then I, I, keep went, it. I, I got it. And, and then um, <laughs> I, I went and bought another copy so okay. that I wouldn't ruin right. the autograph copy so yeah it's got some it's got it. some really good songs on that record but love the but our only number one came from embrace called the love of jesus um that was a duet with myself and mac powell mm-hmm. from third day and that shot to number one it was interesting it entered the charts at like number 30 something like that 38 yeah. Yeah. next week it was 16 the next week it was five and then it was one and it knocked dc talks what if i stumble off i'll never forget that oh he took dc talk out it was it was funny it was d it was us dc talk stephen curtis chapman audio and anointed that was the no no not audio point of grace and anointed that that's was some, the top that's five. a rich company right there that's some big yeah big you know names. we were on, it was only two weeks that we were on the charts but hey you had a number one hit man two weeks that's <laughs> Two yeah, weeks most people so can't say more. that so you're right man you're right but yeah so the journey's been crazy man it's been it's been a lot of um ups a lot of downs but you know I, I wouldn't trade any of it you know i wouldn't i wouldn't trade any of it i got what was interesting was you know when i was in college i mentioned earlier that you know a lot of the records that i was getting introduced to sweet comfort band we ended up doing that heart of the young record at Randy Thomas's studio, you know, where who the guitar player for sweet comfort. And I used to walk in there and he would show me all these sweet comfort things. And, you know, and, and it was really cool because in college, those are the, in Randy Stonehill was another one who was yeah. a big, big inspiration to me. Kenny Marks was a major inspiration to oh, me yeah. when back in the day, especially there's a song on the first record called Sarah. And it's kind of patterned after the party's over from mm-hmm. Kenny Marks, oh, yeah. which he, which he patterned song. after, yeah, which he patterned after Jesse's girl. Yep. I, I really believe same riff. It's the same, yeah, exact same riff, riff exactly. Yep. And I'm a huge Rick Springfield fan, so they kind of all played itself in there. But the thing was, uh, I got to play and get to know a lot of the guys that I, you know, when in college, I was like, man, yeah, I really like them or whatever. And, but I've always still been just a regular old music fan, man. Just a, I'm just a music fan. I don't care who it is, what it is. I just love, you know, I'm a vinyl collector. I've been forever. And, you know, but I did write a book about my story. I don't know if you knew that or not. I had heard you write a book. Tell our listeners uh, what the name of it is and how they can find it. Yeah. The name of the book is called, I wish it would rain is very simply the name of it. Um, 
Green's my favorite thing in the world. It's my all-time favorite thing. Um, when I, I have two grandchildren now that I, my little bitty grandsons, and when they go to sleep at night, I put rain sounds beside them, you know, and, uh, but anyway, the book is called, I wish it would rain one man's story of depression, um, addiction and redemption. And it's basically my story of growing up in a little bitty town and going to professional wrestling and kiss concerts and wanting to be a rock star and then finding the Lord and then going through the music business, then how my addiction started and what took me through it. And, you know, but you can find it on Amazon or, you know, anywhere like you can get it on Kindle. Um, you can get it on um, hardback or softback too. Yeah. It, it, but it's a really good book. It's not a hard read at all. It's only like 200 pages long and, it, um, but it's my story, but yeah. That, well, I guess I know what I'm reading next. <laughs> um, hey, before I let you go, um, I know that you do have a, as you said, you do have a day job, but you still are playing yeah. uh, concerts mm-hmm. when you can. I do. I How don't can do people find out where you're going to be? Facebook. Yeah. That's basically where you can find out. Honestly, since COVID started, I hadn't played since I well, hadn't played live. Has, yeah. Nobody has exactly. Some people hit me up about doing some um, shows in you know my house or whatever, and right. it's kind of hard to do that when a two year old's running around your feet all the time. But yeah, that kind of hard to do that. But I'd rather have the two year old. Be honest with you, <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know. But that's where you can find out. Just I'm on Facebook, Jimmy Ray. I have a music page, and but but you can just look me up on John Jimmy Ray. If I'm ever playing anywhere, I post it. You know, okay. um, I'm not a hard guy to find or get a hold of at all. Um, but yeah, the but you know, and I, I love what you're doing, man. Taking people's stories like us that you know were back in the day and whatever, and talking to them. Um, I think it's cool because we we. Every artist that you have on here, I know you got Brian Duncan, you know, yeah. or you had you had Brian Duncan, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, yeah, previously, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and who did you have first? Uh, Dale Thompson first? from Bride, yeah, yeah, Dale. We only did one show with Bride, and that was a mismatch. But I mean, you know, why <laughs> wouldn't it be? That's two totally different audiences. That was about right the same time. That was almost like the same time we played with a band called Squad Five O, uh-huh. um, in Los Angeles, and you know they were punk. And so punk. And we get up there with our hooting the blowfish sounding selves. <laughs> and it was, it was really, really, yeah, it was a bad night. Yeah, but the cool thing about it is all these artists, like I'm, I know Brian has pretty incredible stories to tell, but, you know, and I'm sure Dale does too, or did too, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But that's the cool thing about what you're doing, man. I, I appreciate it because you're allowing people like that have been in it and have chosen to do different things now or are doing different things that, you know, that because there's a lot of history with the old Christian music stuff, man. Yeah. yeah. The way it started and all that kind of stuff and where it's come now, because it's a totally different world than it was than it is when I was out. I mean, totally different. You know, the worship thing wasn't happening when I was out. Right. You know, it was. Right. Yeah, it's a totally different industry now. Totally sure. different. Totally. You no know, double words were the big thing back then. And, you know, do they even have them anymore? I don't know. Right. <laughs> Good question. Yeah, but my story's one of many, many roads, man, but well, many I, good roads. We certainly appreciate your time, Jimmy, man. Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk with you. I know. Oh, absolutely. It. And uh, you, maybe Jason. we can have you on again. You could play us some absolutely. songs with that hey, yeah. guitar. <laughs> I'll do it, man. Thank so check you, him Jason. out. Check, go check out his book. Uh, go If you're in the Southeast, 
and Jimmy's doing a show. Please go see it. It is worth the drive wherever you're going. He's a well, thank phenomenal you, artist. Thank you, Jimmy, for spending some time with us today. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. Really appreciate Jimmy Ray coming on the show with us. If you're not familiar with Age of Faith, I encourage you to go back and find their music. It is worth the listen. I have enjoyed putting this episode together and going back down memory lane with these guys. It was a lot of fun to listen to their stuff again. Since I'm short on time, I'm going to go ahead and tease next week. Very excited about having the one, the only Glenn Kaiser, lead man for Res Band. He is going to be right here on this program. Wait till you hear this interview. This man is still going strong after, what, 50 years in the business. He is awesome. Cannot wait to bring that to you. Here is a little more Age of Faith, a track called Satisfy to take us out. Until next week, don't forget you've been listening to Jesus Freaks Final to Digital, a presentation of Cabco Media Group. I've been your host, Jason Huddle. Until next week, God bless. Oh, Lord, you feel me. You satisfy me.